to the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember therefore what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Morning, everyone. Um, I'm Jack. If I haven't met you before, I'm one of one of the pastors here, as Carl said. And this morning, uh, diving into Revelation chapter three, looking at uh, another church. Um, there are seven letters to, to, to seven churches at the start of Revelation, and we're up to Sardis now. Uh, one of, one of the hardest routines for me when I was in high school was the wake-up routine. I don't know about you. But I really hated early morning starts and I wanted to stay in bed until the last possible minutes. So the wake-up routine for me was my most hated part of any school day. Uh, but the wake-up routine for my mum, that was her favourite part of the day. Uh, so it would drive mum absolutely nuts when my brother and I would stay in bed before school. We'd make ourselves late for school, we'd make mum late for work. So she came up with a bit of a plan one morning to try to you know, motivate us to get up and out of bed. Parents like, listen to this, right, right? good advice. One morning she came, she knocked on our bedroom doors, first my brother's, then my own, and she said to us, it's time to get out of bed. And we did that usual kind of, you know, we grunted in response. And then she added, if you're not up in five minutes, I'm going to come back in here and and neither of you are going to like it. So like kind of grunted again. Well, I started to get a little bit nervous when I heard yells coming from my brother down the hallway five minutes later. And in my foolishness, I chose not to respond, but to stay in bed. And it was a huge mistake. And those footsteps started coming down the hallway. My door creaked open. See, my mum had come up with this ingenious plan involving a spray bottle. But she, she wouldn't just come in and start spraying us while we were under the covers. She lifted up the covers so that our legs were exposed and she'd trap them. And she'd just kind of unleash with the spray bottle. And she'd be laughing while she did it. And I, of course, spring up out of bed very much awake but it became a favourite pastime of mum's, so much so that she started doing it in, in the middle of winter as well. But she wouldn't do it while we were in bed. No, we, we were too scared at that point. Like, we'd hear the alarm, we'd, we'd get up out of bed. But mum, she started actually waiting for us to be out of bed before she'd strike. You know, sometimes days would go past without it happening and then suddenly, bam, you know, spray bottle to the legs. And we'd be like, I'm already up. And she'd be like, I know. <laughs> It was a really effective way of waking us up. Mum actually gave a, a spray bottle to my sister-in-law on the day that she and my brother Sam got married so that she might benefit from this ingenuity as well. But uh, what a, a wake-up call it was, those, those early mornings there. Uh, really, that's what we read Jesus wants for the church in Sardis this morning in verse 2. Jesus says, wake up. Now, don't just grunt and roll over and go back to sleep. You need to get up. You need to pay attention. If you're just joining us for the first time this morning, we're partway through a series looking at a book in the Bible called Revelation. 
Revelation is the last book of the Bible and it's a book that's all about giving us uh, a different kind of perspective. Uh, Revelation is all about helping us see some of the things that are happening around us from God's perspective but it's also about helping us see what's happening on the inside for all of us, in our hearts and in our minds, also from God's perspective. And in the letter that Jesus sent uh, through a guy called John to the church that was inside us, we find out that he sees what's really happening in that church. He sees that while they might look great on the outside, well, on the inside, things aren't going well and that's a problem because while from the perspective of the people around them, they might look great, they might look healthy, from God's perspective, things are really bad. They look dead and they need to wake up the passage this morning, it's really like that spray bottle on the legs on a freezing cold wintry morning for every single one of us. If you were handed a leaflet as you walked in the door, you'll see on the outline there, point one says, looks can be deceiving. Looks can be deceiving. Okay, we're going to play a little bit of a game together, all right? There's this great show that's appeared on Netflix, it's called Is It Cake? I don't know if anyone's ever watched it, it's really kind of complicated point to the game, you've got to figure out is something cake or is it not cake, all right? So we're going to play that right now. I'm going to show you a series of images and you need to tell me if you think it's cake, all right, or if it's actually what the image is representing. So we've got the, the first image. So this one, is this, is it cake? Yeah. Who, who thinks no? We've got, we've got one no. We've got, who thinks yes? Got some yeses? Let's see. It's cake. It's cake. Hey, but looks can be deceiving. All right, what about the next one? What do you think about that one? Is that cake? Who thinks yes? Who thinks no? Okay, what have we got? It's cake. A cake burger. I know. Uh, the next one? Who thinks this is cake? A few. Who thinks it's not cake? Yeah, okay. What is it? It's not cake. Alright, last one. Last one. What have we got? Who thinks this is cake? Got, got a few. Okay, not cake. Okay, all right, what have we got? Cake again. Cake again. It's pretty hard to guess what the deal is with these cakes and with these not cakes, isn't it? You can, you can see the outside, you can tell what it is, but what's on the inside? It's another story, isn't it? It's a bit of a mystery. See, looks can be deceiving. Now, it's pretty obvious what the church in Sardis looks like on the outside, isn't it? They look like a church that's really flourishing. We read, you have a reputation for being alive. Imagine you go along to a church on a Sunday, you see people smiling, they're drinking coffee and chatting. Uh, you see people in that church getting involved in different ways in the community around them. You see them welcoming everyone along to church on a Sunday morning. They do stuff on Easter and at Christmas. They're a really welcoming community and it sounds great, doesn't it? it sounds fantastic and I hope that's what we look like as a church as well, right? It looks very much alive. But then we read straight after that, the very next line, but you are dead. And you go, hang on, that doesn't sound good at all. See, looks can be deceiving. But, but that's not news, is it? We know that already, don't we? There's this constant kind of stream of people coming out of the woodwork who aren't what they've appeared to be on the outside. And it's happened in the church quite a lot as well, hasn't it? Very sadly, the moral failures of, of church leaders, abuse allegations and cover-ups, very sad things coming to the surface. See, looks can be deceiving. But what about the church in Sardis? See, what has happened in their midst that they might have the appearance of being alive, but really they're dead? Well, we read that Jesus says to them after telling them to wake up and, and pay attention on the next slide, 
that they need to, to strengthen what remains and is about to die. And then we read, For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. And he says this, Remember therefore what you have received and heard, hold it fast and repent. Now, someone in my Bible study group on Thursday evening, they brought this great image to mind when they read those words, strengthen what remains and is about to die. They said it reminded them of a small pot plant that might sit inside of your house but that's been neglected. You know, you look at it one day, you notice that, oh no, it's looking very much dead. There's a single kind of green leaf that's just hanging in there. So you grab something, you know, maybe the, the dreaded spray bottle, right? And you just start watering it to bring it back to life. That's the image here in our heads with the church in Sardis. But, but what's happened? What's happened for this to be the case? Well, we read of deeds that are unfinished in the sight of God and we read that they need to remember something that they've forgotten. Now, the city of Sardis, it was a pretty well-off place. It was a more kind of inland city than some of the other cities we've looked at in these letters in Revelation. But it was a city where several inland roads kind of converged. So, there was lots of trade going throughout this city. So, if you lived in Sardis, well, you were pretty well-off. You could live the good life, the really good life. You know, the house, the car, the family, the security and safety was well within your grasp. But Sardis is also a place with a very unique history. See, it was a city that seemed very safe, seemed very hard to attack. It was, its back was to some cliffs that were considered unscalable and easily defended. If you started watching Obi-Wan on Friday night, like they had the high grounds, right? They, they were safe, this invincible city, wealthy, protected. They were very comfortable. At least they thought so. But we need to remember, looks can be deceiving. See, twice in the history of that city, they were attacked and they were defeated. You know, once by Alexander the Great and then by a guy called Antiochus the Great as well. And then in AD 17, it was actually uh, devastated and torn apart by, by an earthquake. It was only rebuilt through the generosity of an emperor who diverted kind of some funds to, to help rebuild it. It was a city that was lured into a false sense of security. But things weren't as good as they looked. Now the church in Sardis, they've forgotten something. Something they'd heard, something they'd received and they need to pay attention to what Jesus is saying and so do we. Because while others may look at the church in Sardis or at you or at me as well and, and think everything's looking fine, well, God actually sees beneath the surface, doesn't he? He sees what's really going on. See, looks can be deceiving but never to God. He sees straight through to our hearts. The thing that matters more than any showmanship or outward appearance of goodness or having the good life. See, the God who created us, he knows us better than we even know ourselves and he sees us, he sees all of us. So point two in your outlines, what are you wearing? I said last week that I'd been able to visit a friend of mine in Sydney recently. I told you how their kids had woken me up early in the morning and were playing some games. Well, while I was there, I got to play hide and seek with them and we had a really great time. I don't know if you've played hide and seek with young children before, but there's generally this, this pattern that kind of emerges. You see, one of, um, either one of two things happens, right? You, you kind of, you walk around a corner and you see them standing there like this, right? Their hands over their eyes, because there's no way they can see me. Or you find them hiding under something like a blanket and they're giggling away as you get closer and closer to them as you kind of say, I wonder where they've gone. It's a great game, hide and seek. We're actually going to play a game in between services if you'd like to join in. Not really, okay. Uh, but, but 
we're, we're generally good at, at, at hiding, aren't we, adults? We're pretty good at hiding. I mean, especially things in our hearts and our minds. Like, no one here knows every thought that I have in my mind. No one here knows every desire that I have in my heart. And it's the same for you as well. No one here knows every thought or desire in your heart either. But the thing that's the case with God, the one who created us, it's much like playing that game of hide and seek. You might be standing there kind of covering your own eyes and unable to see, but you're only fooling yourself. We can't cover God's eyes. He sees straight into all of our hearts. And I don't know about you, but I feel pretty uncomfortable knowing that. Because from the little I know of my own heart, there are things in there I hate the thought of someone else seeing, let alone the God who created me, who one day I will stand before. How does it make you feel? We ask the question, what, what had gone wrong for that church in Sardis? What, what did Jesus see there that was so concerning? Well, the answer is a bit further on in the passage in verse 4 there. and It's all to do with clothing. Jesus says in verse 4, Yet you have people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. So the problem here is it's soiled clothing. Now, obviously, Jesus isn't talking about the physical clothing that uh, the people in the church are wearing. Right? He's using clothing to illustrate something far bigger. Now, some of you might remember the story. I've told it once before. The time I was visiting some family of mine in North Queensland in a place called Julia Creek when I was quite young. They lived on some property with some sheep and a cow or two kind of hanging out in their backyard. And one day it had been raining heaps and the yard was this mess of mud. So myself, my brother, all my cousins, we did what anyone would do. We ran outside and we had a huge mud fight, right? Just throwing it everywhere at each other, covered from head to toe in it. But we'd forgotten that there were a lot of animals that lived in that yard too, hadn't we? Like it wasn't just mud that we were throwing at each other and covered in. There were a few like cow patties being frisbeed and all this kind of thing as well, right? We were covered in something much more disgusting as well as mud. And all this mark is just kind of dripping from us head to foot. It was gross. Of course, we didn't care because we were having fun. So we kept throwing that mud, kept throwing those cow dung piles at each other. Now there was, there was no way... No way we were going to be let inside the house in that state. Our parents came outside in horror. No way were they going to let us back inside until something was done about that muck that was just dripping from us and from our clothing. Well, the Bible helps us understand that we all actually have those filthy clothes, every single one of us, covered from head to toe. But it's not just the kind of muck from that backyard, right? That was heaps easy to get rid of. It's actually much, much worse. See, we were created by God to love. Our hearts created to love and created to love God and also to be loved in return by Him. You were created for a relationship with God. But every single one of us, every one of us at one point or another has said to God, you're not worthy of that love. Every single one of us at some stage in our lives, not just once, has limited God made him about this big and we've raised up something else in his place as being worthy of our love. You know, limited God to someone who can just live in the back pocket until it's convenient for us to get him out to use how we like. To either say like, look how unimpressive he is, if he's even there, next to something like this small kingdom of kind of being able to build for myself here. Or we say things like money or career, relationships, sex or security, man, they offer so much more than you, God. So just stay silent until I've figured out a use for you. 
If we take good things that God has created and we make those things our God instead, but we need to remember, looks can be deceiving. Those things can't give us life. They can't love us back. They don't fill any void in our hearts. Only God can do that. But we buy the lie they do. Now, like, we've all received this phone call before, right? Or this text message or this email. It goes something like this. Uh, Hello, Jack. Jack might be spelt wrong. You have a great uncle in another part of the world you've never met. He's just died, leaving you $5 billion as an inheritance, right? Please give us your bank details, your birth certificate, your driver's licence. I'll transfer all of this money straight into your account. Right? We've all received that, that kind of message before, right? Free money. What the Bible describes as sin, it's like getting that phone call, that text message or that email and just believing it. Believing that what life is all about is, is something other than being in a relationship with the God who created us. We align our lives with that text message or that phone call or that email in so many different ways and so many different things, buying the lie that there's something better for us than God. See, we all stand before God covered in this mark because of how we've treated him. We've rejected him, broken our relationship with him and until something's done about that mark, well, we're stuck outside the house. We're in the dark, in the cold, alone and and powerless to do anything about it, powerless to fix that relationship. No amount of good living or trying to be a good enough person for God will work because that mark doesn't just disappear. It stains us. Our clothing is soiled. Others might look at us and think, man, I've got their life together. Things are going so well for them. But looks can be deceiving and we can't deceive God. A debt is owed that we can't repay and the consequences are eternal. See, point three, the good life. Remember, remember we, we read, yet you have a few people inside us who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white for they are worthy then he goes on, the one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. See, while we all have soiled, muck-stained clothes, Jesus speaks of being clothed in white. The church in Sardis looked alive to the people around them. In reality, Jesus says they're dead. But we already know how Jesus acts toward those who are dead, don't we? If you have a Bible next to you, you might want to grab it and turn to page 1815 to the book of Ephesians there. Down the bottom of that page you'll see Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians is a book that was written by someone called Paul and he writes this to the Christians in Ephesus and to us. From verse 1 in chapter 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who were disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. See, what's Paul saying? He's saying that we were all dead, covered in the muck of sin, following the desires of our hearts that are turned away from God and toward other things. People who deserve God's judgment but then we read this in verse 4 remember this but because of his great love for us god who is rich in mercy made us alive with christ 
even when we were dead in transgressions, for it is by grace you have been saved. You see, God didn't stand idly by watching this. Instead, he chose to act toward us out of his great love for us, even though we would never have chosen to love him. Because he doesn't want us to get what we deserve, his judgment. Instead, he gives us what we don't deserve. That's, that's what grace is. I don't know what your view of God is here today, but if you're going to hear something, hear that he loves you. Hear that he wants you with him and he's made a way for that to happen. Further down in verse 8 there, we read, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it's a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. What is Paul saying? We can be saved from God's judgment, what we deserve, and it has nothing at all to do with what we can bring to the table, but it has everything to do with what Jesus has done. It has nothing to do with what we can bring to the table, everything to do with what Jesus has done. See, that's why Jesus had to die. See, on the cross when Jesus died, he faced God's judgment for us. On the cross when Jesus died, he took that mark and that grime of sin from our own souls and he put it all on himself so that when he died, he died the death that we all deserve to die. One where we would otherwise face God's full anger and judgment for how we've treated him. And he did it so that anyone who puts their trust in him as the only one who can save us will be saved. We'll be made alive. The thing cutting us off from God having been dealt with. The penalty we deserve to pay having been paid on our behalf. It is by grace you are saved. One day we will all stand before God and we can stand there having put our trust in Jesus as the only one who can make us right with God or we can stand there trusting in ourselves and in how we have lived to make us right with God. And God says that second way will never work. See, without trusting in Jesus, the mark of sin will always remain. That's why Jesus says to Sardis, that word, repent, you know, means doing a 180. See, in Jesus' death, he took off their sin-stained clothing like he does for us if we trust in him. But, but we're reading in this passage that it's like they're trying to actually claw that clothing back onto their backs because they're answering that phone call, that email, that text message that says something better is waiting for them that isn't God. They've forgotten their need for Jesus, what is given to them. We can't forget our need for Jesus. Jesus says to them, turn away from doing that. Turn back to me. Remember what I've given you. Remember that I offer you the true good life. Nothing else does. And if you haven't done that yet, Jesus pleads with you to turn to him to ask for forgiveness for how you've treated God and to trust that he's the only one who can give that to you. That's the response he's after in these pages. For you to say even just now in your hearts to him, I'm I'm sorry for how I've treated you. Please forgive me. I trust that you're the only one who can save me. Help me follow you. God wants that for you. You can say it in your hearts right now. Now, knowing what Christ has done and what he has given us, well, just imagine being given a brand new clean white shirt to put on and after putting it on, you look over, you see your old crusty dirt and muck-stained, freezing cold, disgusting shirt that really just belongs in the bin 
Imagine kind of picking that up and trying to put that one, that one back on. That's what the church in Sardis has been doing. And it's something we're being warned about here too. Jesus is saying, stop it. Wake up if that's you. Follow me and, and don't stop following me. Remember, he's not just there to conveniently you know, pull out of our pocket when we want. See, we need him now and always front and centre. Well, we get to celebrate the baptism of Michael LaForest later on this morning. Now, there's nothing magical about the act of baptism, right? Rather, much like the clothing Jesus talks about in Revelation 3 symbolises a greater, amazing reality, so too baptism symbolises an amazing, great reality as well. Symbolises that our old self, the clothes covered in, in, in muck self, has been put to death with Christ It's no longer who we are. Rather, we have been raised to new life with Christ, washed and cleaned, no longer stained by sin, but new and safe with him forever. Now, the act of baptism doesn't do this. Faith in Jesus does this. And baptism symbolises it and shows that this is what we want. It's what what the LaForest family and all our church hopes for Michael as he grows up, that he'll know Jesus come to own his faith in Jesus for himself. See, having a relationship with God, it's not about being physically baptised, it's not about just coming to church or being nice people or being loving towards people or having a good moral code. It's not about looking good on the outside, it's all about Jesus and whether or not you respond to him by putting your trust in him. Now, all of those things will flow out of that relationship because if you trust in Jesus... You trust him to show how to live for God and not against him. But life here in Adelaide, I mean, it's so good, isn't it? We have great wealth compared to the rest of the world. Our comfort is is pretty easily accessible, isn't it? We have great schooling, we have good universities, we have good jobs or income protection and government help if not. We have great health care, we have access to medicine. You know, buying the house and the car and having the big family and the holiday house, these are all things that are really well within our reach and they are really good, good things. But it's not the good life. See, all those things, they fizzle and fade, they go away at the drop of a hat. As much as we might scramble after them, they're not the good life. Don't buy the lie. I want to tell you about a friend of mine and my brothers as we finish up. See, this friend of ours, like, if you're thinking of the good life here in Adelaide, he was well on his way to achieving it. He had like top marks in, uh, in a great high school. He went to university, a good uni. He finished his studies and became a doctor. He was really well liked. He was, he was partway through studying as a specialist as well. Uh, life seemed to be really on track for this friend. You know, the good life, well within reach if he went for it. I'll always remember the day I rocked up to my brother and sister-in-law's house. I was going over to pick up my brother for something. But when I walked through the front door, my brother was just finishing a phone call with someone and his face and my sister-in-law's face were just in complete shock. And they, they told me the news. Our friend who we'd known since we were in high school, he just died, just, just suddenly, absolutely no warning at all the night before. It was sudden, it was incredibly unexpected and it was heartbreaking. The guy was only in his late 20s. If there was someone I knew with the good life that was just well within reach in Adelaide, it was this friend. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. 
He wasn't seeking the good life here in Adelaide. He'd already found it. He found it when he met Jesus, when he put his trust in the one who died for him, the one who he now walks with. He's clothed in white. See, he gained everything when he turned to Jesus. It's the same for us. See, looks can be deceiving. Don't buy the lie that this world offers us what only Jesus can. And don't buy the lie that you can stand before God without him. See, we don't know the time or the hour when we will stand before God. But praise God that he chose to love us even when we were dead in sin. Praise God that he loves us even now, calling us to turn to Jesus and trust in him that we can truly have life. That's eternal life. Praise God that he helps us in our weakness when we get this wrong and that we can always come to Jesus and lead us now in speaking to God. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, thank you that while we were dead in sin, you chose to love us. Thank you that while we were turned away from you and treating you like an enemy, you chose to love us. You sent your Son into this world, into the muck and the grime of this world, so that he might die on the cross for us, that it would no longer stick to us, Lord, that we might be forgiven for our sin and have life in his name. We praise you for this, Lord. We praise you that a day will come where we will get to be with you for all eternity clothed in white, living the good life, because that good life will only ever be found in you. Amen.